Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On today's show, I'll be joined by Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl and Texas Tech junior guard Kyler Edwards. Pearl, like many coaches, has marched with his players and is incredibly sensitive about the world we live in, not just college basketball. Pearl and I will talk about his past, raised in Boston, coaching in the Midwest, and then in Deep South. Pearl's passion has never slowed, and you'll hear that in his voice, especially on the subject of systemic racism. We'll also discuss his dream player, a project we've had for the last few weeks with Leonard Hamilton of Florida State, Jim Beheim of Syracuse, Roy Williams of North Carolina. But the interesting thing here with Bruce is, unlike the three previous coaches, um, Bruce took all his past together to come up with his dream player, and that includes being an assistant coach, uh, at Iowa under Tom Davis, being a head coach at Southern Indiana, head coach at Tennessee, head coach at Auburn, also was head coach at Milwaukee. Uh, so he's got uh, a lot to choose from there in terms of coming up with his dream player for the 10 categories that I provided for him. Now, Edwards was a part of a rally in Lubbock uh, earlier this spring that was with his teammates and staff. And, and we'll discuss how his head coach, Chris Beard, wanted to engage with his players about how they're feeling about the unrest and what they can do better. And we'll get to my rankings, my Cats ranks, and for this week, it's the top three-point shooters in honor of Pearl's teams that certainly could make threes since 2011. Let's start out with my interview with Auburn head coach, Bruce Pearl. Uh, Bruce, I want to start out with the last three weeks. Um, It's been, I mean, this whole last three months have been unprecedented, but even the last three weeks... Uh, you're a little bit older than I am, and I still do not remember a time like this. I mean, we've had social injustice, we've had racism, we've had police brutality, but we've never had a unifying response, not just in this country, but globally. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, Andy, I think it's because um, of what we saw uh, on television. Um, We saw a murder. You know, we saw we saw somebody get tortured. Uh, we saw a white cop kill a black man uh, and lay on his neck for nine minutes. Um, you know, back when we saw what happened in Selma and um, we saw uh, black women getting beaten up. Um, it was a terrible, terrible thing to see. Um, but that blood and that pain was something that pushed the Voting Rights Act through, had the country not seen it, it may not have happened. And so what we need to do is take advantage of the fact that, yep, we saw it. There it is. It still exists. There's problem with our criminal justice system. There are some problems with our, our law enforcement and, and the profiling and the targeting. And, 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 and there obviously needs to be some, uh, some changes and some improvements, um, which I think are going to happen. Uh, And you and I have both been in the fight in the educational system to understand the incredible differences in uh, an elementary, middle school, secondary education between the haves and the have-nots. And um, and that's going to be something through education. Um, I think we can make a lot of change. And I think I think if if we uh, if we continue to work together like we are globally, we can turn this thing around. And, uh, and and can continue to uh, affect things in, in a more positive way. 
So, you know, I always find your upbringing and your professional life very intriguing. Uh, the two of us, you know, we're, we're Jewish kids in Massachusetts, liberal Massachusetts. I went to the Midwest, the West, then came back to the Northeast. Um, you spent a lot of your professional life uh, after BC um, and a little stint out West at Stanford but and uh, Iowa. Uh, but for the most part, um, in rural Midwest, and then as a head coach uh, or at, at the Division One level after Milwaukee, you know, in the Deep South, uh, Tennessee, obviously television, and then Auburn. Um, what was your understanding, you know, or maybe, you know, did you feel like you thought you understood the pain uh, and now maybe you understand it even more when you've had probably a lot more in-depth conversations with your players, but how is your own catharsis, you know, your own growth, I should say, um, you know, as, as a human being, as an individual, as you experienced um, different parts of the country and, and really coaching, you know, mostly African-Americans. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Andy. I do. You know, I was born in 1960 in Boston. And so I was, I'm old enough to have seen rice riots, to seen whites and blacks fist fighting simply over the color of their skin, uh, afraid of one another, not having had hardly any exposure to each other. There was tremendous segregation in Boston, uh, in, in, in communities. There was a religious segregation, you know, the Irish South Boston, the the Italian North End, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, blacks lived in, uh, in, in Roxbury and in, in the south end of Boston. Uh, there was a Jewish neighborhood not too far from that. And if you wanted to be, uh, if you didn't want to get beat up, you made sure that you stayed pretty close to your own neighborhood. Uh, that's just the way it was. I saw it. Um, and of course, Andy, you know, in 1967, I also saw the sixth day and being Jewish, um, watching my grandfather sit at the television in tears and, and afraid to go to bed at night because he wasn't sure that the state of Israel would be there in the morning, our Jewish homeland. Um, and one of the things that I think made me a better coach in bringing people together was I couldn't understand at a very young age why people of different color or people of different religions couldn't get along and, and, um, and, and had issues with one another. Jews were Christ killers, you know? We we're, were Christ killers until I got a little older and I realized I had no idea that Jesus was Jewish. Did you know that? My goodness gracious, that makes us brothers. Um, and so I think a lot of it has to do with the way you look at things. And so people of my age are in a position to really have a, a little understanding. Look, as a Jewish man, I have it better than my father. My father had it better than his father, but his father also had to live through a generation of surviving the Holocaust and fleeing Europe before they were murdered just because simply the way they prayed. So I say to my players, they get profiled and they have some issues, but their fathers had it worse than they had it and their father's fathers had it worse than they and so on and so forth. We've made progress through the generations. We still have work to do, absolutely have you know, some work to do. And listen, as far as the South is concerned, I, I would say it gets a really bad reputation for being a place where African-Americans or blacks would be more uncomfortable. I, I honestly don't see it that way. Hey, you go down to Atlanta or you go down to Charlotte, there is more successful black business owners and people and schools 
and I'm talking about in large numbers, that I don't know that 50 years ago you would have even thought was possible. We've made progress. And, um, and I think the fact that this issue uh, has been brought up reminds us that we've got a long way to go. Yeah, there's no question um, about the segregation in Boston. And obviously Boston had a, a really horrific reputation, which was deserving for, for years. Uh, but it has gotten better like you know other places. But you're right. And I'm curious, the conversations you've had, the raw conversations uh, after your players and everyone else witnessed this, um, what, what were those conversations like? Well, you know, Andy, uh, these conversations aren't new. I think that's one of the things I think is really important for people to hear. Like, it may be new for lots of people, and I think that's what's really good, the fact that more people are now aware. I've been, I've been aware of this because I've been a basketball coach, coach of black student-athletes my entire life. I've been in this fight with them. And so it's nothing new. So I may be asking a few more hard questions like, Tell me about the worst racist situation that you've ever been in in your young life. Most of what I'm hearing is going into an all-white gym, an all-white school, and hearing those chants. Or going to an AAU tournament in a white community and hearing some things said. Making, making feeling unwelcome. Or walking into a store where the stuff in a store may have been a little bit more expensive than another store. And guess what? Yeah. I got the money to buy whatever I want to buy in here too. Um, made to feel not welcome. And then the second thing would be some, sometimes, and I will tell you, um, more often than not, my players have had very good experience with law enforcement. Very good experience. They've had to be respectful. They've been cautious. They understand uh, and have heard and even, yes, seen some of the things that are terribly unfair and unjust. Um, but for the most part, there's not been as much of those stories as, as what some of the other stories are. Look, Andy, we need to do a better job of teaching African-American history. We don't know it. We don't understand it. We know Martin Luther King. We knew Frederick Douglass. We know the movie Roots. We don't know about abolition. We don't know about the slave trade before our country even was born. We don't know what side the Republicans or the Democrats were on back in the day regarding slavery. We don't know any of that. It's just like they don't teach the Holocaust. They don't teach it in schools. How can we expect kids to understand that six million of my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles, your family were murdered in this lifetime still because of the way they prayed? How are these kids supposed to know it if we don't teach it? So we, we need to take that narrative and we need to, so guess what I'm doing? I'm teaching it. I'm, I'm, we're having our guys watch the movie 13. We're watching things about uh, the abolitionists. We're, we're doing, because if it's not going to be taught, we're going to teach it. Our guys are going to watch Schindler's List. Well, and that, to that point, I think Juneteenth uh, has not been taught in its importance as much in terms of the end of slavery. Uh, the tall, uh, you know, a lot of thing that was in the news, obviously with, the, uh, the Black Wall Street and the massacre in Tulsa 100 years ago, that was not taught or barely. So there's plenty of the full picture. You're right. Um, I- I'm curious also, though, uh, you, you marched. Um, other coaches are. Other players are speaking out. There's been a change where student athletes are now feeling empowered to speak their mind 
and they're being encouraged. And there are presidents and athletic directors and coaches right there with them. Um, and I feel like that is definitely going to continue when we get on campus in the fall and into the next year, um, when that would not have been the case six months, year, five years, and 10 years ago, where that would have been accepted. What's your reaction and your endorsement of this new voice that everyone now feels inside of them to express? Yeah, you know, I support that. Um, I, I think that's been supported in our country. Um, and uh, uh, at the same time, I don't support violent protests. I don't support the, the looting. I don't support the crime. Um, but, but because I think it gets away from the message that black lives matter. Um, and, um, and, and so uh, I think it's great that we're having the dialogue. We've also got to be willing to forgive one another when somebody may say something that offends somebody or it comes out the wrong way or you can't believe you said this. Look, we got to be talking about it. Therefore, we got to be listening to it. And, 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 and certainly we obviously had listened to it. But what can we do? All right. You know what we can do? I've got six black coaches on my staff, six. And they're in high positions on my staff. And, and, and a couple of them are in entry level, a couple of grad assistants, a couple of former players. But bring our former players back. Give them jobs. You know, promote those guys to full time positions. My, my fellowship of Christian athlete minister is black. Six guys on my director of player development is black. And so put your money where your mouth is and give, give black coaches an opportunity. A majority of our participants of our sport are black. We need more black athletic directors, more blacks in sports and ownership. If this country, as Bill Russell said, the greatest thing about our Constitution and the Bill of Rights is all men are created equal. If all men are truly created equal, then all men should have the opportunity. Now, once given the opportunity, you got to do your job. You got to take care of your business. But the opportunities need to be presented, and that's what we can do. We can do a better job of not just graduating our kids. I'm really proud of the fact that in the last six years, I've graduated 20 black student-athletes. Graduated 29 student-athletes, but I graduated 20 black student-athletes in six years. And my job is to not only get them graduated, because I didn't do it, they did it, school did it, and took a village to do it, but then when they get done, get them jobs. Get them good jobs. Every athletic department should have somebody whose full-time job it is to work with the alumni and the donors and the people in the community and people all over the different states that the university attracts students to and help with employment. I think that would go a long way. Uh, I've got, there's a lot of kids with job, with a played basketball, got their degree, and, and they're not in jobs where their degree meant anything. All right, so this is a bit of a hard segue here, um, but you've had great success, uh, as you mentioned, players that have graduated, players that have gone on to the NBA. So I'm going to take a hard turn here, uh, and I'm going to come up. We've been doing this the last few weeks. Leonard Hamilton, Jim Beheim, Roy Williams – creating a dream player. So this is the Bruce Pearl dream player. You can uh, obviously, um, you know, I want you to, if you feel comfortable, you know, take from your entire career. If you don't, I understand it. Uh, but this is as a head coach. Uh, but, um, and I don't think people will be offended. So uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to start. I got 10 categories for you. So I'm going to start off with who would be your quarterback, your ultimate playmaker. Okay, so now it has to be 10 different players. No, no, no. Yes, yes. 10 different players because 
Uh, we got to spread the wealth. Man, uh, my quarterback mm, would be Jared Harper. Uh, Jared was uh, played point guard for us uh, a year ago. Took us to the Final Four, and uh, and put, I want to put the ball in Jared's hands. Your clutch player, Chris Lofton. Um, big shot after big shot for me at Tennessee. The all-time leading three-point shooter in the history of the Southeastern Conference. This is going to be a hard one because you coach a lot of them. Your best athlete, maybe man, maybe maybe Superman Stan Gerrard, the the two-time Division II National Player of the Year, the head coach right now at Division II Southern Indiana. Um, had had Stan had a good knee, uh, he'd had a long career in the NBA. I love that going back to uh, Southern Indiana. All right, your top shooter, Bryce Brown. Uh, the second leading three-point shooter in the history of the SEC. Obviously, uh, you know, Bryce could see it. Bryce could make it. Man. Yeah, he, he's still making threes to beat North Carolina. <laughs> I was there for that. Hey, and, he's got a, and he's got a chance to be on the Boston Celtics. He he averaged uh, almost 18 for the Maine Lobsters. And uh, I'm hoping that he gets a chance to go down to Orlando and play with the Celtics. All right, your bucket getter. Fill in the, fill in the stat sheet. Uh, Roy Marble, uh, the mini Michael, mini Michael Jordan back in the day, 1986, 87, took us one game in the final four. Roy could get buckets. He could get downhill. And, uh, he was probably one of the best bucket cutters we had. All right. Another, uh, specialty yours. You guys defend. Who's your best defender? Wow. Had so many great defenders. Isaac Coro. Um, he, uh, he came in this past season, ranked one of the top 40 or 50 high school players in the country. Uh, he left. He's going to be in the top seven probably of this year's NBA draft because he was the best defender in college basketball. Your top rebounder. My top rebounder. I'd say uh, Austin Wiley this past year averaged about 10 in the SEC. And uh, got every rebound in his area and, and really began to do a great job uh, this past season of rebounding out of his area. All right, your glue guy. <laughs> um, I'd say Samir Doughty. Again, a guy that played for me this year, uh, transferred from BCU. Uh, he was slippery. He's a Philly guard. He's just a winner. And he kept my locker room together. Uh, I've had a lot of guys that have been able to do that. Those guys, those glue guys, are really Dane Bradshaw at Tennessee now. Dane would be another guy that was a glue guy. When we first got things going on at Tennessee, I, my family and I even endowed a scholarship in Dane Bradshaw's name because nobody would remember Dane because of the numbers he put up as an individual player, but he bought in, and, and we won back-to-back SEC East championships because Dane was such a great glue guy. So I gave you two. All right, but no, no, there are two last categories. So All right. you might you might want to slide one of those guys to these other two. So the last two categories I'll give you together, basketball IQ and a team captain. All right, I'm going to go with Tobias Harris uh, from Tennessee. His, his basketball For which one? IQ, okay, all right. Uh, Tobias Harris gets the IQ and he gets the work ethic. Um, and and he gets he gets the guys like that self-made guy. Um unbelievable discipline uh great teammate um proof 
that if you that mind over matter sometimes. Tobias was blessed with some size and talent, but he really gets the most out of what he has. All right. So the question is then: Do you slide, or give me another one? Do you slide Samir or Dane down to captain, or is there a third person we're thinking of here? I think I go with Brad Shaw as the captain. Okay. I think Dane. Uh, Dane goes uh, as the captain uh, because of uh, just just everything he is and all that he does. See, that way we got everyone a spot. Got everybody a spot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. One last thing before I let you go. Um, we hope we have a semi-normal season. We'll see. But um, your players are on campus. Um, voluntary workouts at this juncture. Uh, if things are what we hope, what could we see from Auburn next season? Uh, it'll be it'll be the youngest team, the youngest team, Andy, I've ever had uh, by far. And so um, – We'll be fast. Um, we may play like some of my teams in the past. I've lost 11 players from those final four teams, but I've got five really talented freshmen, five really talented sophomores, and um, we'll have to put a lot of things together. But this team is going to be a 94-foot team. Um, we're going to play a little differently. We're going to make you uncomfortable. Well, Bruce, as always, I loved having long-form conversations with you. Uh, most importantly, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Andy, great to be with you, my friend. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Now it's time for our Cats Ranks, the top 10 three-point shooters since 2011. Checking in at number 10. Oakland has a guy on the roster named Max Hooper. He has taken 221 three-pointers this season and not one single two-point attempt. Max Hooper from Oakland completed his uh, career in 2016, and he was a baller for the Grizzlies, uh, shooting at a 42.1% clip at number nine handoff to Gavlock. six seconds five seconds drew right side the high arcing three for the tie good with 2.1 to go andrew godelock from college of charleston finishing his career in 2011 averaging 41.3 percentage on threes he was definitely a stat stuffer for charleston at number eight it's not there Austin to Heslip for the time. It's good. Brady Heslip from Baylor finished his career in 2014, shooting almost 44% on threes. At number seven, Forbes pops up the three up. Number 11 for Bryn Forbes, a new career high. One of many good shooters for Tom Izzo at Michigan State, Bryn Forbes finished his career in 2016. Forbes uh, also almost a 44% three-point shooter. At number six. Wow. Corner. Oh, bullseye! Fletcher McGee is not human! Fletcher McGee from Wofford finished in 2019. They knocked off Seton Hall in that first round of the NCAA tournament, shooting 43.5%. At number five. And maybe partially deflected by heel, but Green just left it away short. But it winds up with Graham hitting another three. Yet another player that Bill Self and his staff developed into an all-star in the Big 12 and one of the better players for Kansas in the last decade, Devontae Graham, finished his career in 2018, averaging 40% on threes. At number four. Tied at 56, Merrill for the lead. He's got it! Sam Merrill from Utah State buried a three-pointer, scored 27 points to knock off 
San Diego State to win the AQ out of the Mountain West Conference this past spring. Uh, Sam Merrill was a big-time bucket getter and a big-time three-point shooter. At number three, Robinson again. Why not? Duncan Robinson from Michigan. He's having a nice NBA career uh, with Miami, finishing in 2018 for John Beeline. Transferred from Williams College, where he was a baller in D3, and it transferred well at Division One as he was burying threes for the Wolverines. At number two, underneath and back outside with it. Guy, again, top score, now at the 13. You cannot leave him. National champ, Kyle Guy from Virginia in 2019. Uh, certainly the Cavaliers were not offensively inept uh, that year. Uh, they certainly could bury buckets, and Kyle Guy was the leader of making threes for the Cavaliers. Uh, he was averaging 42.5% in his career as a three-point shooter. And a number one. Howard stepping back. Come on. 50 points. Howard. I'm going with Marcus Howard from Marquette. Uh, he would bury big-time threes for the Golden Warriors throughout the course of his career. Uh, Howard averaging 42.6% on threes, but overall, just you knew if the shot was going up, it had a great chance to go in. And that is my Cats Ranks Top 10 Three-Point Shooters since 2011. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Kyler Edwards from Texas Tech. And Kyler, I want to I want to talk about uh, what this last month has been like for you. I mean, it, it clearly, and I've said this, and maybe I'm being repetitive, but I've said this to a number of your peers. Um, this just feels different for everyone in America across the globe. Um, I know you guys as a team uh, took part in one of the early marches uh, in the Lubbock area. Um, for those that were there at the time. Why does this moment in our lives feel different for you? I mean, it feels different for a lot of reasons, not only because of uh, um, what people are doing, but, like, um, it's just tension, I feel like, between everybody. I mean, I'm trying to be a part of the solution, you know? I think I have a voice, and I think I can speak up for, for like, athletes you know, or any athletes that want to take a stand in this. So, I mean, I feel like I have a voice for that. This impacted, you know, the murder of George Floyd was the tipping point. I mean, obviously with COVID going on, a lot of people were at home, everyone's paying attention, but we literally saw a man's life being taken away. I mean, there was no other side to this. Everyone saw it. Uh, but there have been plenty of other heinous acts of racism that have resulted in murder. Uh, obviously, police brutality as a result of that. Um, why do you think this specific one, though, resonated much more, certainly for, I mean, all of us, but certainly for those in your generation? Oh, I just think that was, like, one of the most, like, brutalist thing I've ever seen before. I mean, watching that video gave me chills. And I think everybody else that watched that video had chills. So, I mean, that's really why... I, I, I called Coach Beard one day, and I was like, uh, can we go out, could us and the team go out to a um, protest? And he was all for it, you know. Anything anything you need as a player, he'll get it done for you. So, I mean, him just walking with us in the march made such a big difference in our, our like, view of, of other people, you know, and all the people that, that came to the rally. Yeah, Kyler, I, I would say that, you know, and I've covered, obviously, the sport for a long time, and I've always felt that 
you know, with Chris Beard in this program, that he's allowed his players to be themselves, to express themselves, to listen to the music they want to listen to, uh, and, and not, you know, with any kind of, you know, restrictions to the to the point of, you know, it's a it's not a dictatorship. It's much more of a democracy and all that. Um, and so I, I don't feel like there needed to be a sort of quote change of culture. Now I'm on the outside, obviously, but how much do you feel like at least in your bubble, in your environment, you have been living in, you know, a, a culture that has been, I don't know if co- coexisting is the right word, but certainly a, a one that, that maybe you didn't feel uh, as slighted as, as maybe other people. Uh, I mean, in our like organization, as you call it, uh, I feel like this is the most comfortable I've ever been around people. I mean, we talk about anything and everything, like about the situation right now is going on in the world. Coach Beard had us all on the Zoom call, and he really wanted to talk about it. He really wanted to know like our opinions and and what we thought about it, and what he and what he thought about. It, you know, and so everything is just like an open book with us. You ask me, so I mean, you know, it just as him for him doing that. You know, it doesn't give him much more respect. Well, and that's right. I mean, you know, obviously no one can walk in your shoes. Um, and, and it feels like student athletes uh, are being empowered to speak up even more. Uh, coaches, as you said, are, are marching with their student athletes. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily would have been the case six months, a year, five years ago, uh, where you wouldn't feel as comfortable to speak up and to, you know, to march and to rally against anything unjust. Um, with that being said, what do you think life is going to look like when we get back to campus? Uh, I know it's not going to be, quote, normal because of COVID, but there will be a time of normalcy at some point, obviously, in the next year, we hope. Uh, but what do you think life will be like? Um, I know it's going to be different. I mean, nothing's going to be the same than what's going on right now. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody will get to start to love each other, you know, again, you know, because everybody has a different opinion. So, I mean, everybody will start, you know, start respecting everybody's opinion, you know. I think it'll go back to what it was. But like not even that aspect, but even better. You know, Kyler, you said how you've got a comfort level. Um in your life prior to arriving in Lubbock or even in Lubbock, I mean Lubbock is not the most diverse place, obviously. Um how how have you felt at times in terms of um, you know, being a minority and, and being singled out or even, you know, when law enforcement has been around, how comfortable you feel? What's been your experience in your life? Um, I mean, it's like, you know, when the when cops drive by you, you always tense up, I guess, you know, because you never know. You never know anything. I'm not saying all cops are bad. I'm just saying, but there are a few out there that have done wrong acts. But, I mean, I'm not saying all, all of them are bad. I mean, it's just a, a, a bunch of them that make, that make all of them look bad. It's just the perspective of them. You know, Kyle, the other thing, too, is that um, I was thinking about this, that you guys reached the title game, Final Four, tens of thousands of fans cheering you because you got that Texas Tech jersey on. Um, what, what, what kind of statement needs to be said to the greater fan base and everyone, not singling out Texas Tech fans, but just in general, that if you can cheer us, you know, in the Final Four and treat us with respect, you know, you need to obviously treat us equally well when we're just living our daily lives. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely could be more support. I mean, like, I know, like, everybody loves loves athletes. Or everybody loves basketball, sports. I mean, it definitely could be a lot more people speaking up. But, I mean, 
a ton of people already have spoken though. I mean, the Lovey community, you know, like our mayor, he set up the march. I mean, so a lot of people have spoken up, but it definitely could be more. All right. I can't leave without asking you though about next season. Let's hope we have a real one. Um, what do you think Texas Tech will look like? Oh, I think we have great pieces coming in, you know, and uh, great pieces returning. You know, um, Kevin Kevin started, I mean, ended, ended the season well. TJ played a great part of the whole season. I mean, we have some key pieces leave, like, like Morrow. But, I mean, I mean, next man up. So, I mean, we're going to miss Morrow, but we're trying to win right now. Well, Kyle, I appreciate it. Stay safe, and I uh, hope we'll talk soon about the, uh, about the season. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. And thanks again for spending time with us this week. And check out our content on March Madness and NCAA.com social media platforms as they sit down with Temple's Aaron McKee and a few players with the Owls, as well as Alabama State's Mo Williams and a few players. All that content available to you uh, on our March Madness NCAA.com platforms. As always, appreciate the engagement, listening, downloading, and everything. And most importantly here, stay safe, everyone.